The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you here, for those of you not in elementary school, uh, I would love to invite you to grab your Bibles with me uh, and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Believe it or not, we are going to hopefully get through the first chapter of Timothy uh, today. We're going to finish it out. We've been in it for a few weeks, but, um, and I know I say this every week, but I mean it every week. This is a good one. This is a really powerful text. Uh, Let me do this. Let me read it for us. We'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Um, Guys, would you mind putting that on the screen for me? Be grateful for that. Thank you. All right, here we go. This This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermeneus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, ouch, that they may learn uh, not to blaspheme. All right, church, let's pray together. God, as we have seen and as, as we have said so many times already through your, your word in 1 Timothy, God, you care for your church. You love your church. You have a plan for your church and how it functions and how we're led and how we're protected. Lord, you care for your church. You sent your son Jesus to die to, that we may be saved. And God, I... I We want to hear from your word this morning, and we want to apply it together. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear and the ability, Lord, to obey? God, would you you help us today? God, we thank you for this day and this time, this opportunity that we have together. Would you take it? Would you use it, Lord, for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Let's jump right in. Let's start in with our text. Verse 18. We'll read it again. This this charge I entrust to you. Timothy, my child. So this charge, what's this charge? Let's get caught up a little bit. Um, This charge is a charge to protect the gospel in the church. It's the same charge that we saw in the first 11 verses, if you remember It's a long time ago. But in the first 11 verses, we saw this charge. And this word charge is a lot like a military term. It's your marching orders. Um, And Paul here is giving Timothy this charge to protect the gospel from those who are within the church who seek to distort, distract, or just to outright destroy the gospel here in these churches. So as we get caught up, if you remember, first 11 verses are all about this, this charge to protect the gospel from within the church. Um, And then what we saw the last two weeks, verses 12 through 17, was 
Paul, the Apostle Paul kind of having a, a bit of a, a, of a geek out, gospel geek out session where he just, he just is overwhelmed by how good God has been in his life. And it just kind of is overflowing and he's talking about his testimony. Um, we saw that and, and what we saw is, um, what we talked about is it's okay, church at times, for us to get distracted and to get overwhelmed by how good God has been in our lives. And that's what we saw in, uh, in this text last week. And, and if you remember, just to reiterate this, your testimony is worthy to be shared. Your story of God's grace is worthy to be shared. Whether you were saved at a very young age or not so young, whether your testimony is rated R, PG-13, PG or G, it does not matter. Your story is worthy. The fact that God saved you, a sinner, and poured his grace and mercy, opened his eyes, forgave you, saved you, redeemed you, adopted you into his family, that makes your testimony worthy to be shared. The last two weeks, Paul has been sharing his testimony. And so what we've seen, verses 1 through 11, Paul giving Timothy the charge to protect the gospel in this church. Verses 12 through 17, Paul's geeking out about the goodness of the gospel in his own life. And now it's like after all of that, just gushing over how Christ has saved him, the foremost of sinners, in verse 18, our text today, what you see here is it's like Paul going, okay, and where was I? What was I saying? Because what we're going to see right here is he goes right back to what he was talking about in the first 11 verses. Um, He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Paul comes back to this charge, and and notice what he calls Timothy, my child. My child, I I really, I love this term. It communicates at least three things, okay? Number one, it's a term of endearment. Um, This communicates Paul's love and affection that he had for Timothy. It wasn't just some, you know, fellow co-worker, um, or a work associate, or just one of those fellow pastors out there, right? Um, what this says is, no, Timothy, my child. It's a term of endearment and love, first and foremost. The second thing is, is it's an age-appropriate term. Um, we still do this today. We still do this today. You'll still hear this kind of talk when you hear an older man um, address a younger man as son, Right? Uh, You still hear this today, son. You really don't want to go that way. What are you doing, son? Like, you hear that. Well, this is Paul's way of addressing Timothy that that acknowledges the age gap. See, Timothy was a younger man. Paul, not as young. And And it's here addressing Timothy in this term of endearment and also as a way of just stating the obvious. Son, Right? The third thing, though, and and I think this is the most important thing about this term, my child, is this is a discipleship term. Uh, uh, We've said this before, but this communicates Paul's role in Timothy's life. Discipleship, as we've said, is up, down, all around. Up, down, all around. See, all around, that's that shoulder-to-shoulder stuff, that, that you do life together with your brothers and sisters, and we together point each other to Jesus and help each other walk in the faith, and that's all that, that all-around shoulder-to-shoulder stuff. That's all fantastic. But what we see in this term, my child, we see this is that up, down, down, up discipleship. 
that we've talked about. That someone above you pouring into you, you're pouring into someone else. This is Paul pouring into Timothy in a discipleship relationship who is then charged to pour into others. I know we haven't gotten this far yet. Uh, That's okay in this letter, but we're going to see a lot more of this if you were to fast forward. Uh, We're going to see a lot more about this, and and Paul's going to talk a lot more about your role in this as we look forward into this this letter. Uh, In fact, chapter 5, again, I'm cheating. There's no rules, though. Chapter 5, we're going to see Paul talk about older women and their role with younger women, older men, and their role with younger men, younger women, younger men. There is a role to be played in the church. And uh, Paul is so clear that you have a role to play. And that's what we see here. Um, And it's more than just an age gap. It's a discipleship term, discipleship term. So the term, my child, communicates this and gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what is to come. And so Paul says, this charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child. And he says this, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that you may wage the good warfare. Okay, pull out this, in accordance with the prophecies made about you. Um, This is another thing, by the way, again, that Paul is going to talk a lot more about later. Uh, But... Because there's no rules, I'm going to go ahead and skip a little bit so we can see what, he is, what he's talking about here. If we were to skip to, verse, or to chapter 4, we have this call where Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy. And now Paul unpacks what that means. He says, When the council of elders laid their hands on you. This wasn't like a beat down laying of hands, okay? This was a, this was a commissioning a prayer laying hands on. When the elders came around him, prayed for him, and sent him out. Okay, pause. I got to tell you, we have the opportunity to do this next week at Stone Oak Bible Church. We're calling next Sunday Send Off Sunday. And um, we get to walk this out. I love it, by the way, when we as the church, I see this every week in communion and preaching, where we get to literally walk out what we see in scripture, and we get to do that next week. Um, next week, we're having a time of send-off, and I want to ask you, straightforward, if at all possible to join us for this next week because of what this means and signifies. Um, two things that we get to do next week. First of all, I believe it was in 2021, should have got my dates before I got up here, um, that Paul and Jolene Hody moved here from California to San Antonio, Texas, to start the, the hard work and the planning and the pr- preparation and the prayer to launch a new church on the west side of our city. Well, by the grace of God, Um, the time has come. And Paul and and Joe and Disciple Community Church is about to officially launch. Amen? I'm going to give God praise for that. It's incredible. We're going to hear more about it next week. But next week, here's what we get to do. We're going to get the opportunity to come around them as a church. Uh, Paul joined our, our, our staff as our church planter and resident. And uh, we get to come around him. And we get to pray and commission them 
out, send them out. His team, some of his team is going to be with us next week as well. We get to send them out. So cool. That's number one. On top of that, um, we have another couple in our church uh, who has just accepted a pastoral position in another church. And uh, I hate to see them go. It, it angers me a little bit in a holy way. Um, it's painful. Letting go is hard. Sending hurts. That's how you know you're doing it right. Um, but church, this is gospel ministry spreading out. It's what we're all about. So next week we get to celebrate in our sadness. Um, and we get the opportunity to pray over them and send them out as well. It's going to be a beautiful and painful morning. But this is what the New Testament gives as a template for the church, to be a place that sins, comes around, commissions, and sends out for future gospel ministry. We see in the New Testament that the church sends, and when the church sends, that the people and the elders come around them, lay hands on them, send them out, and commission them out. And we see in Scripture that God hears and uses those prayers. And we get to do that next week. So, again, please, 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 please make every effort you can to be here with us as we come around them and commission them out. Um, but that commissioning that I just described, that we're going to be walking out next week, is exactly what we see here in our text in 1 Timothy. As we look here, the elders come around Timothy, pray for him, commission, commissioning him out. And as they do, it's their way of saying a couple very important things. Number one, the elders come around them, the church comes around them, and they say, we see this in you. We believe that God has called you to the ministry that is ahead of you. And as the elders come around, it's their way of saying, we believe in you and that God is going to do a work in and through you. That's what it is. And so they come around, and, and here in our text, Paul is reminding Timothy of his commissioning, his sending out. It's like Paul is turning Timothy's focus to the war that is ahead. But first he says, remember your sending off. Remember your commissioning. When the elders came around you believing that God is going to do a work in and through you, remember that. And from that place, Paul says that you may wage some good warfare. All right. We're going to turn the corner now in our text. Um, this morning is going to be a story of three ships. Some of you looked up, you're like, what is he talking about? You'll, hopefully that'll make sense. I've used part of this analogy before many, many, many years ago, um, but whoa, it's extremely useful here. And uh, more than that, I'm going to add a little bit to this analogy. I think this is going to help us as we work through this text together. A story of three ships, a cruise ship, a battleship, and a shipwreck. Cruise ship, battleship, shipwreck. Let's start with the big and beautiful cruise ship. Um, start here because it's the most fun, all right? Uh, how many have ever been on a cruise? Almost the majority of us. So Candace and I went, oh my goodness, 
long time ago, um, long time ago, before we, right before we had our first kiddo, and uh, it was our fifth year wedding, and wedding anniversary that we went on a cruise. It was awesome. We want to go on another one one day. Um, but as you get on a cruise ship, you walk onto a cruise ship with a, with a certain mentality. Um, comfort. You expect some relaxation. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of food. Insane amounts of food. Um, You read some good books, take some long, deep breaths, and then eat more food. You expect soft sheets. You expect great towels, sometimes even folded up into little animals on your bed. Um, you You pack a swimsuit. You're rocking comfortable clothes. You might pack some dressy clothes, but that's just for a nice dinner where you get to eat more. Um, You have that. You spend a lot of time in flip-flops. You really do. You might not even be a flip-flop person, but when you're on a boat, on a cruise, you're flip-flopping it. You do. Um, But because you come with the expectation to relax and to be entertained. See this boat on this, you see all of the entertainment mechanisms that are rocking out on top of that boat? You walk in with that expectation, especially in a time of peace. It's what you expect. Okay, listen, far too often, I'm going to cut right to the chase, for far too many of us, we have cruise ship expectations in this life. And specifically, in our life together as the church. The church can, if we're not careful, become a little bit like a cruise ship. And I can become, this is horrifying to even say this, but kind of like a, uh, a cruise ship director. And I'm horrible at that. You do not want that. Um, and churches, this is the churches that we want to attend the most are the, the churches that are best at directing that cruise ship. We walk in with this mentality, and when we do, um, we become, we put ourselves in the place of a customer desiring the finest of food, the best entertainment, and uh, as employees of the cruise ship, it's our responsibility to make sure you get it. Um, Now, I'm not going to spend much time here because it becomes very clear in Scripture and in history um, that we have a very different picture of what the church is in God's Word. Um, Scripture is very clear that today, in this day and age, we aren't stepping on a cruise ship. I'm going to come back to this, but we're not boarding a cruise ship. Instead, I want to talk about boat or ship number two. Ship number two, the battleship. Um, scripture paints this picture that resembles um, a mentality, a battleship mentality. On a battleship, we have a very different purpose. We have a very real enemy. We have very real dangers. Whereas on a cruise ship, you walk in, you're expecting ease and relaxation, lots and lots of food, reading good books, soft sheets, soft towels. On a battleship, you walk in with very different expectations of what you're about to walk into. You expect mission and purpose and a sense of camaraderie. Um, You expect to be counted upon in some way. You have a role to play on this boat. You're there for a reason, and you count on others. 
relaxation and, and nothing wrong with that, but it gives way to a sense of mission and a sense of purpose. Comfort and entertainment are no longer the top priorities of your commanding officers, especially in a time of war, church. Now, yes, 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 you expect to be fed. That's important. Yes, you expect to have your needs met, but you would also expect that you have a part to play and you have a role as being part of that ship. In the face of uh, trials, you expect them. You know that on a battleship in a time of war, you expect danger, you expect troubles, you expect trials. And when you face them, you're also confident that you have a mission and a purpose for being out there. On a battleship, um, you're no longer a group of strangers relaxing around a pool working on your tan. You become fellow soldiers, brothers and sisters, shoulder to shoulder, counting on each other and caring for each other. The picture scripture paints of the church and your life in Christ until that day he comes again. The scripture paints this picture that is nothing like a cruise ship and much more like a battleship. Much more like a battleship. In fact, um, there are so many other places I, in scripture I could go to, but I picked one and I want to read this to you because um, Paul here in our text is giving Timothy, a pastor of the church of Ephesus, this war language that he can wage the good warfare. Well, it's interesting to me that in another place in scripture, in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives a very same message to the congregation. I, I, we got to read this. Um, forgive me. I'm putting it up here. All right, here we go. Um, 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Church, that's some battleship language. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That church is battleship language. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You're not doing that on a cruise ship. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation. In the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Last verse. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, he says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's suit up, keep alert, church. That's battleship language. And that's what scripture is calling you to. Here in our text, in, uh, in 1 Timothy 1, 18, we, we see this 
I entrust this call to you, Timothy, my child. We've been commissioned out for this purpose that by them you may wage good warfare. This is Paul encouraging Timothy in his pastoral role to fight the good fight, that he understands who he is and what ship he's on. And it's that one. Church, we have to understand what boat we're boarding. If, if, if you're looking for a cruise ship, listen, I, I, one day when Christ returns and he makes all things right and the battle is over, it's cruise ship time. It's flip-flop time. But until that day, we are at war. We battle sin, we battle strife, we face grief, we face pain, we face sickness, we face attacks from the inside and out. The church doesn't exist to entertain or to comfort in a life of ease. Church, we exist to glorify Christ. Ephesians 4 says we exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We support each other, encourage each other, continually remind each other of the good news of Christ. When we're wounded, we care for each other. We restore each other. When we're attacked, we defend. We're aware. We also do our part. We have a role to play in the advancement of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel until Christ returns again. Faithful churches, biblical churches, we must realize this and we must continue in this battle. We can't give ourselves over to cruise ship directing. We can't. And so, churches, brothers and sisters, our expectations need to stay fixed that we're not boarding a cruise ship, but we're joining our brothers and sisters, our spiritual family, in a spiritual war. And you're needed in this battle. So let me ask, how do we fight? How do we wage the good war? Well, Paul says in our verse that by them we wage good warfare. And then in verse 19, he says, holding faith in a good conscience. Holding faith in a good conscience. So holding faith, that's about our belief having right belief, ultimately the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, that we would have the right belief, that our eyes would be fixed on Christ and we would trust him and him alone for our salvation. That's what it means to hold faith. He says it's holding faith and then also second, holding a good conscience. In this context, the good conscience is about our actions. It's about what we do. And so as we look at this, are our actions in alignment with the word of God? Are we doing what we know is right? That's a good conscience. So a good conscience deals with our obedience to the word of God, our obedience to the ways of God. So to put it simply, as you take this, how do we fight the good fight? We know the truth and we obey it. Do you know and believe the truth and do we live it out? That's what it means to hold the faith in good conscience. It's right belief and right practice. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. It means that it's not just all about us having the right belief if we fail to obey the word of God. On the flip side, it's not just having a really, just doing what we think is right without first knowing and believing the truth of Christ and his word. It is both. The war is both. 
our faith and our actions. And I want to pause real quick. I am not saying that you are saved by your faith and actions. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period, faith plus nothing. That's how you're saved. From that place, what I am saying now is what Scripture says, faith without works is, it's dead, James 1. I'm saying from that place, Scripture is clear that it is we wage war by holding up the gospel, believing in Christ, and obeying his word. That's how we fight this fight. Trusting Christ, obeying Christ, that's the war. In other words, we need to understand what ship we're boarding, what war we are fighting, and who we are, and who we are called to be, fighting this good fight together. And here's why I spend all of my time talking about this, because do you know what happens when we forget this? Let me show you what happens when we neglect this. Let me introduce you to the third kind of ship, like Paul introduced you. He says, by rejecting this, what is this? Well, in this context, what this is, is referring directly to what came before. So when, when Paul says here, by rejecting this, it's pointing right back to the holding faith and good conscience. So when you reject right belief and right action by rejecting Christ and his word, Paul says, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Ship number three. That's nasty right there. Gives me stress just looking at that picture. Shipwrecks are awful. Now, to be clear, I have never personally experienced one. Thank the Lord. Um, I haven't. But I've read about them. I know about the Titanic. Like Celine Dion sung about this before. I know that. Um, there are a few things more terrifying if you think about it. Um, shipwrecks are this slow death. So the event happens, but then a shipwreck is that it often slowly and hopelessly just starts to unfold. Taking on water, tipping over, breaking apart. I went down a rabbit trail this week in my studies, and I made the mistake of Googling all kinds of stuff about shipwrecks. It's horrifying. It absolutely is horrifying. Don't do it. Um, but it's terrifying because there's something so hopeless about being in such peril and being so alone. You look up, it's just empty, clear skies. You look down, and it's just the depths of who knows what's below you. It's hopeless because there's no escape, and it's slow. The worst part of this, here's the part that hit me. A shipwreck is often slow enough that you have time to fully contemplate the tragedy of what's happening. You have time to sit in that hopelessness, and that is awful. And that's how Paul describes what's going on in this church. When the church fails to cling to the truth of the gospel, to believe it, and when the church fails to obey it, it leads to that awful picture. A slow death. A shipwreck. I know I'm skipping ahead again, but I told you earlier I don't care, so I'm going to do it again. Um, Paul uses the same language later on in this letter. 
Same language. Listen to how he phrases this in 1 Timothy 6, 9. But to those who desire to be rich, fall into the temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. This is the part I wanted you to hear. Listen to this. That plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's a vision of a shipwreck where people are being plunged into ruin, destruction, and death. Shipwrecks are a slow death. And the enemy would want nothing more than that for you, for us. To slowly sink down, abandoning our faith, abandoning the word of God, abandoning the truth, forgetting we're in a battle, forgetting we're called to fight a battle, forgetting that there is a spiritual war going on, forget all of that, and that weeks and weeks go by, months and months and years and years, and like a big old boat, we're going down. Sinking slowly down, down, down. Down, down. I want to highlight three things from this passage. Um, three things. And um, as we seek to really apply this, I want to, I want to highlight three things. And I'm going to give them all away right, up, right up front. Here we go. Three things. You have a role. We have a role. I have a role. How's that for simplicity? I want to start with the first part of this. You have a role. You have a part to play. You are not a passenger on a cruise ship to get on board and to look for the next entertaining thing that you can spend your time with. You are on a battleship where you get on board and you have a place. You have a role. You have a family that cares about you. You're a part of a mission. You have a purpose. Remember, he said, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not your wrestle. Remember, Paul says, take on that full armor that you may withstand. And this is calling you to suit up. When your brothers and sisters are facing difficult things, it's time to suit up. Comfort them, encourage them, strengthen them. When your church faces difficult things, It's not time to stay home that Sunday. It's time to suit up. You have a part to play, and it might be just that time for you to fight that good fight. Listen, spiritual warfare is real, and I am saying this not as a way to say that there is a devil under every rock and that every bad thing you do, you can say, the devil made me do it. No, not saying that at all. At all. What I am saying, though, is that there is a very real enemy who wants very real destruction for his church, for Christ's church. In other words, a real enemy wants that for you and for us. The enemy wants the church to go stray away from the gospel, from the scripture, from the truth. The enemy wants us to begin to compromise. Did Jesus really mean that? Did scripture really say that? Or can he wants nothing more than for us to stop listening and to think that we know better? If you think back to verse 19, it says, holding faith and good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. How does a church face shipwreck? Well, it's when we sacrifice or compromise on what we believe and when we stop obeying the word of God. When we reject Right belief and right action, when we reject faith in Christ and obedience to Christ, that's a shipwreck. And, and if we, as here at Stone Oak Bible Church, are going to avoid this, 
Listen, you have a part to play. Do you pray for each other? Let me just ask you some questions. Do you pray for each other? You should. Do you pray for your church? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters who sit beside you on Sunday? Do you pray for the leaders that God has placed in your church? We gotta start there. You have a part to play? Start there. Do you pray? Do you know, listen, that God has placed you here for a reason? Part of that reason is for you to get fed. I love that. Um, But listen, God has every intention of using you for his glory. Every intention. It's his plan. You have a part to play. Which leads me very briefly to the second. We have a role. We. So we together have a part to play. Christianity is not a solo sport. Um, It's never been, and it will never be. You probably have no idea. I guarantee you have no idea how much God wants to use you to bless other people, and you will never know the impact that you are making. And I want to flip that around, too, because you probably have no idea how much God wants to use them to bless you. Some of you are far more comfortable with being the blessing than receiving it. Being a part of the church is both. This is how God wants to use. And I say this because we're Americans. I love America, but we are rugged individualists. We do, we, we are, we value lone rangers when scripture does not. We're a collective. We're a community. It's why, if you remember our mission, glorify God by growing in Christ. We could have just said by growing in Christ and going to the world. We didn't though. Growing in Christ, growing together, and going to the world. It's not just about you, it's about we. And I know that doesn't make grammatical sense. I believe that at times, the sing- oh, hear me, the single greatest thing that you can do for your spiritual life and your growth in Christ is not necessarily to increase the amount of solo time that you spend in your Bible. And I know that saying that, I'm like, what's he about to say? I love that. Do that. Keep doing that. It's awesome. Quiet times are awesome. But hear me, for so many of us, just pastorally, let me talk here. Um, The single greatest thing that you can do for your spiritual life is to know and be known in a gospel, biblical church community. Let that settle. We have a role. Together here, we have a role. Lastly, let's talk about me. I have a role. Can't get around that here in this text. Um, Throughout 1 Timothy, we're going to be reading very clear passages on God's plan for how his church is led. What is a pastor? Who should serve as an elder? What about deacons? What are they? Here in this text, we see one of the most difficult but necessary roles that pastors and elders must play in the church. And that is to protect the church from gospel attacks from within. Pastors must be willing and able to protect the church. Let's look at our last 
verse in our text. Remember, he's coming off of holding good faith and conscience by rejecting this. Some have made a shipwreck. Coming off of that. And then verse 20 says, among whom we meet two men, Hermeneus and Alexander, whom Paul says, I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, so Paul says, look, Timothy, I had to do a hard and awful task. And I'm calling you to do the same if necessary. And what was the task? Well, it was church discipline and excommunication. Um, In this church, let's just get on the ground here. In this church, we have two men who have rejected the gospel and obedience to the word and have made a shipwreck of their faith and who are bringing others down with them. And here Paul is said to have handed them over to Satan. What does that mean? I mean, what on earth? That sounds awful, and it is. What is this? Um, What this means is that Paul removed them from the church. You hear that, and you think, okay, in a sense, when we read this, what we read is, is Paul seeing the church as the family of God and that the world out there is the dominion of the enemy, Satan, And so by removing them from the church, in a sense, he's handing them over to the world, the domain of Satan out there. That's what's going on here with this handing over of Satan. Um, And so where they were once viewed as part of the church, now they are not. This was a huge deal. And I don't think we can even wrap our minds around this. Because back in the early church, when you were excommunicated from the church in Ephesus... You couldn't go to another one. There was one church. So you weren't just excommunicated from a church. You were excommunicated from the church. This was huge. There wasn't a first, second, third, fourth, fifth Baptist. No, there was the church. And when you were removed from the church, you were removed from the church and declared to be outside of the Christian church. That's huge. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around because theoretically, we could be kicked out of a different church every weekend. Please don't do that. Um, This is not a suggestion or see if it's possible. We could potentially be kicked out of a church every weekend um, and never repeat ourselves. But what Paul is saying here in this text and what Paul is doing here in this text is a really big deal that was not taken lightly. And throughout church history, this has been what the church has called church discipline. And I gotta say this, just real briefly as we we move through this, um, church discipline has a purpose. First, we need to understand it's not punitive. It's not for punishment. It's corrective. Corrective. Whom I handed over to Satan. And why did he do that? That they may learn not to blaspheme. There was a goal. It was corrective. The purpose was correction, that they would correct their error. They would learn not to blaspheme. The end goal was correction, not punishment. Second, though, it was also restorative. I won't put this on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks more about this when he talks about another man that was delivered over to Satan. 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, same language here. And it says, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What does that mean? Church discipline is for restoration. Ultimately, the goal is not condemnation. It is salvation. Godly church discipline seeks correction and restoration. 
And lastly, it is not a punishment, it is protective. We see this in our text. The action Paul took was to protect the church, to protect others in the church so that others aren't brought down in that nasty shipwreck. We can say more, and we will later, but church, here's the fact of the matter. The church discipline that we read about here has a very specific purpose. It was corrective, restorative, and protective. And it reveals one of the central roles of elders in the church, that godly, biblical church discipline is for restoration and correction of those who have wandered and protection of the church body. So, let's bring it back to this. You have a role. We have a role. And then lastly, I, as, uh, as an elder, as serving here, I have a role to play so that we don't end up like that boat on the far side. That we remember that until Christ returns, we are the battleship. And I want to close by reminding us of one thing. While we battle... While we are on this battleship, you might hear this and be like, that's not the most comforting message, Pastor. It's okay. Um, Listen, while we're battling, while we're on this battle, and this battle is real, but hear me, we know through Christ ultimately that the battle is won. It's won. The victory is Christ. It is won. So although we board this battleship together, we board it knowing that the victory is in Christ. The victory is won. It doesn't mean we don't battle anymore. It means we know the outcome. And so we battle. So we're not the shipwreck. But we remember until Christ returns, we're the battleship. And I want to end with this. We do this knowing and trusting that one day, please hear me, Christ will return. And we will be boarding that first ship, the cruise ship. In fact, I want to read this to you. Behold, this is Revelation 21. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Church, that's when the battleship gets docked. On that day, battleship is docked. It's time to board. It's time to put on the flip-flops. Hear me. Until that day, we suit up. Amen?